I was in college, uh, the end of my college time, I guess, uh, somebody gave me a book that uh, that really was, it was one of those game-changing books for me, personally. Um, it's, it's called The Life You've Always Wanted, and it was written by John Ortberg, who's kind of in the circle of brilliance, uh, as far as these guys that all collaborate together. Um, same circle of guys who, uh, from the guy who, James Bryan Smith, who wrote The Good and Beautiful God and The Good and Beautiful Life, which we are doing with our community groups right now. Uh, he's kind of in this, kind of runs with the same crowd. And uh, uh, in this book, there was a, a concept introduced to me that uh, really changed so much for me, personally. The Lord really used it. Um, and it's very simple. It's very obvious, probably, uh, to a lot of folks. Um, and, uh, and so the concept was, uh, and if you've been around the ring for a while, you've heard me talk about this. It's, I think it's been very formative for us as a church. Uh, the idea is this, that um, there's a difference between trying to do something and uh, training to do something. That uh, you don't just, you know, you don't like try uh, to be like a surgeon. You don't like just go to a hospital and say, I'd like to be a surgeon. And they say... Uh, why? All right. What are you? What are your qualifications? And your answer is like, uh, well, I grew up watching ER uh, with my parents, and then I own all the seasons of Scrubs on DVD, and I have the uh, WebMD app on my phone. Uh, so I mean, yeah. I'll just let me, let me try. How hard can it be? Uh, you don't try to be a surgeon. You train to be a surgeon. You don't try to go out and build a bridge. You train as an engineer to learn how to build a bridge. Like any anything that we're trying to do, you, you don't simply just like give it the old college try. You train to do that. Um, and that's it's such an obvious it's so obvious, you know, because when you're training, you you go into a situation where you don't know anything about it, uh, and you are basically mentored uh, through professors and through people in that field by uh, experts. Um, they take you from knowing very little about something all the way to being an expert like them. That's, that's what training is, is about. That's what education is about, whether it's in a formal setting or an informal setting. That's, that's how we learn to do things. Someone who knows how to do it takes us from not knowing how to do it through the process, and then we know how to do it. That's, that's the goal. And so we train to do that. And so what Ortberg was, was bringing out in this chapter was, was okay, we understand that concept uh, when it comes to being medical doctors and engineers and teachers and, and any sort of anything that we do, we get that. But a lot of times when it comes to following Jesus, it's like we apply a different, different understanding to that. And for lots of Christians, it's like, okay, I'm going to give it the old college try and I'm going to try to be like Jesus today. I'm going to try not hate anybody and be nice to people. And if I see somebody in need, I'm going to help them. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to try to do that today. And like most things that are difficult, uh, that when we try to do that, if we don't succeed, we might try again, maybe. But most of the time, we kind of give up on stuff. 
And there are lots of people out there, and it just made so much sense to me because that I identify what he was saying. Because for so much of my life, I'd, I'd been trying, trying to live the Christian life, trying to live in the kingdom, and trying to be Christ-like, and it it just it just wouldn't happen. And so I get frustrated, and I would just stop trying because I don't I don't like to fail at anything. Nobody likes to fail at anything. And that was it was such a big thing for me because what he was explaining, he's like, look. Um, Following Jesus is something that you are that He trains you in how to do, not something He just says. This is me. You need to like do your best. Go go in, out into the world and do the best you can. He invites you into this relationship and He says, "No, I will. I will teach you how to be just like me." And it's a process, and and but unlike you know, if you go to school, uh, let's say you enroll at LSU and you want to be an engineer, they kind of start. Assuming that you know a few, maybe some math things or whatever, but then they just kind of like take you from you don't know much to you you know a lot. But with discipleship, it's kind of different. Instead of Jesus taking us from we don't know anything really and bring making us like Him, He knows that we know a lot of stuff. Just, just everything we know is wrong. Like everything we think we know about life, it's it's upside down. It's 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 discolored. It's skewed. It's it's whatever. And so here we are. We think we know everything but yet we really don't. And so that's the discipleship process in a lot of ways, is taking people who everything they know is wrong and then like correcting that over time. And he's training us how to, how to live in his kingdom today. He's training us how to be like him. He's training us how to live, like, live that abundant life that he died for. It just, it's, makes so much sense when we think about it in those terms. Now, a part of all training is you try to do some things. You know, Whenever you... Uh, whenever you are, are trained in, in anything, it's not just time like in a classroom with lectures. There comes a point where you start to get in there and you start to do that thing yourself. Or if you're trying to learn how to, how to do any, any sort of skill, somebody talking to you about it is one thing, but then you have to actually get in there and make an effort. And so trying is a part of it, but it's just not the only thing. That as, you, as we train to be like Jesus, we try things out. That's a part of the process. And so what Jesus has has done uh, through the scriptures, he's done just like in any other sort of, of environment where you are, are training for something. There are some, some practices that have been like just built into scripture. Times when, when the Bible says, do this and do it in this way and do it uh, in, in this, uh, for, for this amount of time or do it, uh, handle situation this way or, uh, or it's like, you know, flee from this, run from this, don't do these things do these things, you know, that kind of back and forth. And we have to realize that every one of those things, whether it's something that he's telling us to do or something he's telling us to not do, it's all, all for our good and all a part of this process in us growing together. These are things that he's built into the Bible. He's said so this is a part of your discipleship. It's just, it's like, uh, for, uh, for a couple weeks I talked about my uh, illustrious uh, freshman basketball career in high school. And so the first couple weeks of practice, we... Uh, Oh, like, I thought we were going to go in, learn, learn a little bit of offense, start playing some games, you know, whatever. No, 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 no. We learned how to pass. We learned how to dribble. We literally learned how to hold the ball. And, like, I didn't know there's a wrong way to hold the ball. There's a lot of wrong ways to hold the ball, you know. We learned how to protect the ball. We learned how to, how to pass through coverage. We learned how to, like, set screens. We did all these, like, little fundamental things. And then, of course, you know, after weeks and weeks and weeks of working on that, the worst was, was the fact that like, everybody wanted to dribble with their dominant hand. So we did like drill after drill after drill of trying to like, dribble with your left hand and 
do layups with your left hand. It was just the most ridiculous thing ever. And we did it for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And just like Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid, we start putting all these things together. Next thing you know, it actually he actually knew what he was talking about. You know, Coach Goodson was his name. He actually knew what he was doing. We just thought he was mad at us all the time. We're like, why is he making us run? Why is he making us do left-handed layups till we puke? It was not because he was angry. Well, all right, sometimes it was probably because he was angry. But for the most part, he he knew the more I run them, the more in shape they're going to get. The more we work on the left-handed layups, the better they're going to get at those things. The more we, we do these fundamentals, it's, it's going to all be put together. And so God has done the same thing with us, that there are some, some practices, you could call them disciplines, you could call them whatever, some things that He um, has called us to do and has built into like life in Christ that are for our good, they are for our formation um, into Christ-likeness. These are fundamental things that, that do something really, really important. They, they clue us in to what is real. We talked about this in our community groups two weeks ago, that, that, that the, the key to, to life and to happiness and joy is, is living in reality, in the reality of, of who God is. And there are practices that He's given us that help us to experience reality. So He tells us, he tells us to pray. Prayer is, is something tangible that we do that helps, helps us to experience what an abiding, uh, dependent life is. For us to have that, to, for, have that interaction with the Lord, for us, us to be the branch that's hooked into Him as the tree and for His life to flow into us and produce fruit. That, that happens in prayer. So He says pray. But in prayer we experience that abundance. He gives us the Scriptures. He says study this. Live, live this way. Memorize this. This keeps us in, in touch with the reality of who He is. It's something that we can, can do. This is a discipline or a practice that we're a part of. We take communion. It helps us to connect to the reality of the atonement. We, we have a baptism. It helps us to, to experience the reality of salvation and being cleansed and walking in new life. These are things that He says, do this, and I will use this to grow you and shape you. And so tonight and next week, we're talking about two of these practices or disciplines, whatever you want to call them, that are greatly ignored in the church. And uh, we're going we're gonna to make them trendy again, sort of. Okay? If you've got a Bible, let's go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. What we're going to look at tonight uh, is, is the discipline of confession. Um. Confession helps us to experience the reality of forgiveness. Lots of people struggle with feeling like they are really forgiven. And even, even though they know Jesus died on the cross for their sins, they know that He took all the wrath, and they know Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation coming their way, uh, they, understand all, they, they understand it with their mind, uh, I, would, I would say we. We understand that with our minds, but a lot of times we don't feel like it's real. We don't feel forgiven. We don't feel uh, cleansed. You know, we don't feel like we've, you know, we, we sing that song uh, from time to time here and we talk about uh, shame has fallen. Like, yeah, I don't really feel like it's fallen. And confession is something that we can do to discipline that helps us to experience that reality of forgiveness. Um, let's look, look at this. First John chapter 1, look at verse 5. 
says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. All right, we'll just stop right there. Let's read it again. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. All right, so God is light. Uh, you can, can look um, all throughout the, the Hebrew Bible and you see this, this usage of light and pertaining to God and it's, it's connected to the idea of, of his absolute holiness. He's completely other than anything we can, can understand. He's uh, separate from sin, and he's devoted to his own glory. And so everything about him, every attribute, everything he does, uh, has no effect of sin in it. And so that's why, uh, that's why when, when we say that God is good, and everything that he does is good, it's because um, there, there is no effect of sin on him. For us, there's, there's, we're, we're recovering from that. There's always something else going on there. But for him, when he says, um, when he says, do this, there's no weird motive there. It's all pure. It's all good. There, it's all in the light. There is no darkness. There's no secret compartment that of, of motive that he's kind of hiding, you know, keeping, keeping hidden, you know, or whatever. Um, and so, He's, he's light. There's no darkness at all. There's nothing in God that is, that is a secret. Now, there are certainly things about him and things about his plan and all this kind of stuff that he's not, he's not made clear to us. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Okay? So there are things that he has, has kept from us. But he's not kept anything from the three persons of the Trinity. The Father, Son, Spirit, they are, everything is completely known. So while He has kept some things from us, probably because we would explode if we knew, you know, if, we could, if He was like, all right, I'll tell you everything. We'd just, just blow up right there, probably. He's kept some things for us because that's what's good for us. It's better. Like, that's the best possible scenario that He would not tell us everything. But within Himself, there's nothing hidden. Within the Trinity, Jesus doesn't have this whole like secret part of life that he's keeping from the other ones. Everything's out in the open, 100% light. In him, there's no, there's no darkness at all. So we're talking about that holiness, that, that purity. Um, and, and there's a relational aspect to it, especially when you, when you go back and you look at it in, in the Old Testament, talking about like God is light and, and his light. Um, it's, it's relational. It, it, it means not not only um, is is everything out in the open, but but I want you to, to to know me in this way. Like I want there to be knowledge of of my light. Everything is is like there's just nothing hidden, and I want everybody, I want you to know that. And so with within God, He is light, and with and there's no darkness at all in Him. It's very important that we that we understand that that purity and that light and what that means. So look at the next verse. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. All right? Let's, let's leave that verse up on the screen. Okay? Um, 
Leave that one up. I'm going to read six again so we understand the thought flow. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All right. Two, two scenarios. There's walking in light and there's walking in darkness. It says if you walk in darkness, you're kidding yourself. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, yes, I've been singing, singing DC Talk in my head for two weeks. Very much ready for that to end. Um, some of y'all literally were not born yet, and that's to your, to your benefit. Uh, saying if when we walk in the light, as he is in the light, what, what that is saying is um, when we walk in light, we are a reflection of his reality. That He is light, no darkness at all. When we walk in light, no darkness at all, we're reflecting that aspect of Him. We're, we're looking like Him. And that's, that's one of our goals, isn't it? I mean, we, we're, we want to live a Christ-like life. We want, we want the, the love and the goodness and the grace and the mercy and like everything about God to come shining out of us. We sang it in a song about shining. We're, we're going to shine for you. That's, that's the whole thing. And so, when we walk in light, we look like Him. When there is darkness as a part of our lives, we do not look like Him. We're kidding ourselves. And that's, when we talk about confession, I think it's a pretty good, pretty good way of, of understanding it. That confession is us coming to the Lord and saying, there's this secret part of my life that I want to tell you about. Now, I know that it, it seems really strange. It seems strange to me to talk about that because, uh, because we know that God is omniscient, right? He knows everything. So confession is not, uh, you know, we're talking about vertical confession, like you to the Lord. You're not, uh, you know, you're obviously not cluing him in on something he's going to be shocked about. You're not going to like divulge a secret. He's like, are you kidding me? I had no idea. No, he knows that. Okay, so what's the point? If he already knows it, then why do I, why do I need to tell him? Well, it's, it's, not, it's not some sort of like balanced ledger system, you know. Uh, you committed six sins, and so you come in, you, commit, you confess to five of those sins, and he like scratches those off, you know, but then there's still that one. You're like, I'm not quite ready to confess this one yet. And he's like, okay, well, whenever you're ready, come on back and we'll take care of that. It's not, a, it's not an accounting system. It's not cluing him in on something he doesn't know. It's about us experiencing forgiveness. So we come to the Lord and in our time with, with him, we say, Lord, I, I want to confess this. I've, I've been doing this, or I did this, or I'm tangled up in this, I'm not sure how to get out of this, or whatever it is. And what, what you're doing is you're, you're taking that thing, think about it in terms of, of going from darkness to light. You're taking something out of the dark, and you're bringing it into the light, and you're laying it out there. And you're letting the light of Jesus literally just light up that issue. Now, 
When, when we do that, when we take something that's been hidden and we bring it into the light, what we, what we don't need to say in that moment is, uh, I, I'm going to bring something into the light, and you hold that out in front of him, and you let his light hit that. And you, what you don't say is, will you forgive me for this? Please forgive me of my sins. I prayed that like a billion times in my life. One day it clicked. I'm asking him to do something he's already done. He said that it's it's forgiven. So confession is not bringing something into the light and saying, "Will you forgive this?" It's bringing something into light and 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 you're and you're saying, "Thank you for forgiving this." I want to acknowledge that that this is wrong, that this is killing me, that 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 this this is cancerous to me. I want to thank you that you died for it. I want to say that I'm I'm sorry for bringing it into my life. I'm sorry for for willingly grabbing onto this, and and I want to just I just want to leave it. I want to I want to step away from it. So we bring that into the light, and we say whatever it is that we want to say. We need to make sure we're saying the right thing or we're not asking for forgiveness, but we're acknowledging, you died for this, and yet I've been holding on to it so tightly. You died for something that's killing me, and yet I've been intentionally just like wanting so much of it, and I've been hiding it. And I'm convinced myself I'm hiding it from you, and I'm hiding it from everybody else, but I, I want to live in the light. I want to bring everything into the light and acknowledge, you died for this, I want nothing to do with it. And when we do that, we, you, there's that acknowledgement, where it's whether it's verbal or not, or not verbal. There's something very powerful about saying, "I've done this." I mean, look at look at the way the verse plays out. We walk in the light as He is in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Look at the effect that it has. You bring that into the light. You say whatever it is, however, however you need to confess it, you confess it. And you step away from it. And two very powerful things happen. One, that relational connection with the Lord, that, that it hasn't been severed by your involvement in sin, but, but it's been affected because you've, you have felt distance, you have felt shame, you have felt whatever. Um, that fellowship is, is restored. It was never really broken, but it kind of felt like it was broken. And Jesus is able to say, hey, we're, we're good. That's what I mean by experiencing forgiveness. And if you've ever done that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That when you bring it there, to have Jesus like speak into your life, I'm not saying audibly, but you just get that there's just something going on there when He says, let you know, like we are good. I am not mad at you. I am not embarrassed by you. I'm not ashamed of your sin. I'm not ashamed of who you are. You're my child. That's an experience a lot of us are missing because we've lost the practice of confession. And maybe we chalk it up to, oh, He knows everything anyway, and this and this and this or whatever, but He wants us to confess it. Something about it. So he says, we're good. He says, we have fellowship with one another. And then it says, 
And the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. Okay, what does that mean? We don't, I don't think we realize how, how affected we get by having those secret sins in our lives. By having something tucked away that we, we keep from everybody else and we think we're keeping it from Him. I don't think we realize like, how much that affects us. And so, when, when that's laid on the table and it's confessed and it's brought into the light, not only is that fellowship, that sense of fellowship restored, but, but Jesus not only say, you know, he says we're good, but he says, now, now let's get you, let's get you cleaned up. Let's get the effects of this, of this area of life, this darkness, let's get that off of you. Because a lot of times we have no idea how, how those things are affecting us. Uh, several years ago, um, there's a, a uh, my brother Drew was living in Philadelphia. And uh, that's, you know, that's far away. And so we hadn't seen him in a long time. So a group of us were like, let's go see Drew. And Drew was like, there's a camping place pretty close to us. Uh, let's go to it. It turns out pretty close in his mind is like 10 hours. 10. And so uh, we're like, cool. So we fly up and we bring, uh, we bring like tents and fishing poles and all this stuff. Fly up there, uh, drive 10 hours, and we're on this lake. And it's beautiful and whatever. So we're out there for a couple of days. And it's like truly primitive. Like... Uh, you know, like like a box you lock your food in because of bears, you know, stuff like that. So we're out there, and we're just, we're totally like Huck Finn out there, the whole, you know, no shoes, and we're just dirty and nasty. And um, and so not only were we like normal outside camping for like four days dirty, um, also there was there was this like 12 to 16 hour like death virus that got passed around that everybody got except me and Jake. And so, uh, and so everybody had been sick at one point or another, and so like, so you, you have like, you know, you have peak breath, you know, and it's just, it's just bad. Like we were disgusting. So at the end of this trip, I'm sorry, I said peak breath. It happens. Um, it wasn't in my notes. Uh, and so um, at the end of this trip, we put our stuff in, in canoes for some reason. We canoed as far across the lake as we could. We canoe all the way back. We get back in the van. My first place we can stop and eat, we're going to stop and eat. We go in this place, it's like this little Irish pub, and we just can't wait to eat, like, not a cliff bar, you know? Uh, and, and so, we go in this, in this place, and we walk in, and we sit down, and like, everybody's kind of looking at us, it's just kind of weird. And so we always chalk it up to the fact that we're from the South and we talk funny. Uh, and, but then it started to become very obvious, because one by one, we were like, I, th- I think washing our hands would be a good, a good thing. One by one, we got to go into the bathroom, and we got to look ourselves in the mirror. And it was terrible. People just kept coming out and being like, how come y'all didn't tell me that I looked this bad? Every one of us, we looked terrible. We smelled so bad, but we, did, but we didn't know it. You know, we had no idea. Um, people were in there. Alan Lust, like, he burped the loudest burp I've ever heard. We're like, T, we're in a restaurant. Like, there are people here. You can't just go in and do whatever. Uh, it was it was just the strangest thing. We had no idea how like, like camping those couple of days, like how much uh, how much dirt and just funk was on us until we got in there and we stood in front of that mirror. You know, I had no idea, I had no idea that I was this dirty. That's a lot of what happens in those confession moments. I think that's what it means about the blood of Jesus cleansing us from our sin. Is that it, I think that fellowship is restored and Jesus says we're good. And then, and then I think He says, now let's get you cleaned up. Let's, let's get you cleaned up. That's what... I mean, 
What what an experience. What an experience that we're missing if confession is not a regular discipline for you and for me. Uh, look, look at the next look at the next verse. Verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Truth is not in us. It's basically saying every, this is something for every life. No, no one is an exception to this. Uh, verse nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think one of the things that we're nervous about a lot of times is is God's reaction. And we know He knows all that kind of stuff. I think we project a lot of like what happens growing up to us whenever we confess that we did something wrong and like the reaction of parents or teachers or authority figures or whatever. Like we're we're kind of afraid of that response and so we don't always want to confess things. Look, this is God's response to our confession. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you confess something, the hammer is not going to drop on you. You're not going to have to go run laps like a coach would have done. You're not going to have to go get put in timeout like parents. And you're not going to have to write lines like some teacher. Like He is faithful and He is just to forgive and to cleanse. Like that's, that's our God. So why is, has confession been lost? I, I don't know. All I know is we have no reason for it to have escaped us as a part of our formation. As a part of us becoming like Christ. This is a, a way for us to experience that forgiveness that Jesus obtained for us. And so there's, there's vertical confession. And if you're struggling with your life, that's the response that you're going to get from the Lord. There's also horizontal confession. There's confessing to one another that we're told to do. And you don't have to turn to it. We're going to put up Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Um, this, is, this should be the reaction of our community. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you, be, you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, it's, it's devastating for us to, to not be confessing our sins to the Lord. It's also devastating to us to be keeping things from each other. Um, confessing our sins to one another... Uh, might seem like a super awkward deal, but not if our reaction is like that. Not if the response to confession is restoration and gentleness. Not if it's grace. Not if our horizontal response to confession is consistent with the vertical response to confession that we get from the Lord. See, this is supposed to be a regular part of of. Christ-centered community. Like this should be a regular thing for us. I have a friend who he's a pastor in uh, in Ohio, and uh, one of the things that their church did when they first got rolling, uh, they had like a Wednesday night prayer deal, and it was like half prayer and half confession. And they had a mic up on the stage, and people would just come up and they would confess their sins to their like fellow covenant members of this church. 
and they would pray for each other. And what happened is it, it kind of established this culture of grace. It helped everybody realize, like, man, everybody, people, everybody didn't have all their stuff together like I thought they did. Other people have issues as well. I'm not alone in this. And people could start to connect as they would hear someone get up and confess their struggle with something. Somebody sitting out there is like, I'm a, I need to talk to that guy because everything he said, I've, I've said it myself. And from that, accountability was, was born and there was there's redemption and there's all this kind of stuff. There's just there's so much benefit from con- the confession of sin when the response is consistent with the way God responds to it. I think a lot of us are terrified. It's like your worst nightmare to have to like, to have like open mic time. Like you want to get up there and tell people like whatever. Now, I don't think that that's necessarily what has to happen. Just like God doesn't have to share everything with every, every human. Um, there being no darkness in him is because the Trinity knows. I don't think that the whole church has to know everything about you. But if your closest friends, like if your group of friends, if you're not living in the light with each other, if there are these secret hidden things, then you don't have the fellowship with each other that you think. And you are walking in darkness within your community. And you're walking in darkness with the Lord. And that, that needs to, that's got to change. And I don't know what that looks like for you and your friends. I don't know what it looks like within your community group. Uh, I don't know what it looks like corporately as a church. But I, I know that, that this is missing. And it, it can't keep on missing. This is an important part of forming us into Christ uh, and into His image. It's an important part of what it means to live in the kingdom. So we have nothing to hide because we're... Jesus died for all of us, so we're all covered. So let's bring things into the light. It starts certainly with you and Jesus. And then it's going to, at some point, transfer to you and some people that you trust. Uh, but we can't, we can't hide. You know, go back to Adam, Adam and Eve, and after you know, sin, they were hiding in the tree lines. And God didn't have to have that exchange with them about, you know, who told you? Who told you that you were naked and all that kind of stuff? He didn't have to have that dialogue, but he did. I believe because there was some goodness in them having to say, "We ate of the tree," and then he responds by covering them up, not because he was ashamed of them, but they were ashamed of themselves, and so he said, "Okay, let's take care of the shame. Let's figure out what we're going to do next." I don't know how it fits into your life. I don't know what like dark, hidden things that you're walking around with, but we got to stop it. We have to stop it. This is a part of abundant life. And so the response time is not going to be a mic up on the stage, although part of me would love to do that. We're not going to do that. I think the response has got to begin with you and Jesus. And so... Of course, well, like we always do, we're going to sing some songs that are connected to this, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to dismiss, and then this is this is something that that you need to take back for your life. But I, like, I, I beg of you. This is this has been on me for a while as as the pastor. It's been something that I've just really been pushed toward. Uh, this is not 
flippant. God wants us to take this seriously. And so uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing, and then we're going to go. How seriously you take it is like the ball is in your court and the ball is in my court uh, personally. Uh, I just I pray that we would be faithful with it. Let me pray for us. Lord, um, we're so grateful to know that our confession to you does not result in some sort of, of divine hammer crushing us. And you don't yell at us and you don't... Um, you just don't react the, the way that that the world reacts. So I pray that that would never hold us back. Pray that there wouldn't be um, just these these silly like misunderstandings of your character that would keep us from doing something that you have instructed us to do. That this is a part of our formation. This is a part of us of our training. And you're trying to you're training us. You're saying you want to live in my kingdom. This is a part of it. Is everybody walks in the light because I'm light. So you walk in light just like me. God, help us to do that. We start talking about hidden things and secret sins and all this kind of stuff. We're talking about things that we go to great lengths to hide. I pray that you would help us to to grasp the fact that we have nothing to hide. We have nothing to be ashamed of. That you look into our lives and we lay that thing on the table. Your response is to say, we're good. Now let's get you cleaned up. Pray that that would sink in with us. It wouldn't just be something that, that we hear and it sounds nice, but we don't let it apply to us. Or, or the, that we think it just applies to other people, but we make ourselves an exception. That for every single one of us that are in Christ, that's what's real. So I pray you would just instill that in us tonight as we, as we sing, as we respond. And uh, yeah, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand up.